from the completely shredded studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVR in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another electrically powered episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Think leaf blowers are only good for making unnecessary noise early on Sunday mornings? Well, you're right. But electrically powered blower vacs can turn your fall leaves into garden gold as you effortlessly make magnificent mulch and commendable compost while standing up and not making nearly as much noise. Plus, what it takes for a plant to be awarded a gold medal. And lots of your Olympian questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and ridiculously robust recriminations. So keep your ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you making mulch out of maples right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners, school bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVR in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we're gonna tell you how to select the perfect device to shred your fall leaves, to make perfect compost and perfect mulch for any of your gardens. We're also gonna to talk to Andrew Bunting from the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society about this year's selection of gold medal plants, plants that have passed the test of time and are perfect for your garden needs. But first, I want to announce that, yes, we're continuing our book giveaway. Uh, this week, we're giving away a book who uh, uh, the woman who wrote it was a guest on the show, um, Summer Rain. And since I put the book in front of me, I can't read it anymore. So it's How to Make a Plant Love You, Cultivating Green Space in Your Home and Heart by Summer Rain Oaks. And our winner this week, selected from a bag full of postcards, we still got plenty, is Janelle Lesil. Oh, man. J-A-N-E-I-L-L-E. -E. That would be Janelle, right? L-A-S-E-E-L. Lesel. And she is in Oklahoma City and sent us a beautiful photo of a mountain range in Alaska on her postcards. We don't necessarily pick the postcards because of the pretty pictures on them, but we reserve the right to do that whenever we feel like it. Okay, so don't send us any more postcards yet. We'll tell you when we're gonna get started. We wanna, we wanna send out more books to more people before we get back to that. Oh, and I will mention that sometime in the next couple of weeks, I'll be doing like beautiful picture books uh, that are uh, potential holiday gifts. All right. That's enough of that nonsense. Let's get to your phone call nonsense at 833-727-9588. Beth, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, how are you today? I am just ducky, thanks for asking. Beth, how are you? I'm great, thank you. And where is Beth great? I'm here, uh, I'm in the suburbs of Philadelphia, actually. I'm, uh, I'm in Bala Kinwood. Oh, I know Bala Kinwood very well. When I was a rock and roll writer, I used to go there all the time because that's where Capitol Records offices were. They were actually on Bala Avenue. Really? I didn't know that. They were, they, they were not on the main drag. They were on Bala, but it was just a block off the, um, off the main line, the City Line Ave. So, yeah, I know that area very well. I have very fond memories of the crew there at Capitol. They were great. Anyway, what can we do you for? I am actually, I'm kitty corner to the Ballot-Kinwood Library, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm a teacher, and I just got this beautiful new classroom. Mm -hmm. The school that I teach in uh, is a converted mansion. It's a small private school, and so I have this beautiful old room with these very deep window ledges, and I want to put lots of plants on the window ledges, mm. um, but I need plants that can survive when I'm gone over winter break and spring break and long weekends? Um, that's difficult, but not impossible. Now listen, um, have the windows been replaced? Or are they the original windows? They've been replaced. 
it's still, I, I'm sure it will still get cold there in the winter, but they have been replaced. Okay. A couple of things you got to do. You want to get a thermometer and, uh-huh. and you want to monitor the temperature. Get one of those uh, uh, real fancy ones where it'll tell you what it was at midnight, one o'clock and everything like that. Okay. And, and um, ask the um, custodians, uh, what, mm-hmm. will, what will they turn the heat down to? Um, while the school is unoccupied. Okay. You know, because they don't want the pipes to freeze, but they don't want to waste heat. Right. So what, what we're talking about are houseplants, mm-hmm. strictly houseplants, um, yes. bu- bulletproof houseplants. We're talking about uh, wandering Jew and mother-in-law's tongue, um, mm-hmm. you know, plants that are you know, basically indestructible. You can go online and just type in bulletproof houseplants and and you'll get a great list. Um, Make sure the containers um, have good drainage. I realize because of the windowsills in a classic place, you're gonna have to keep saucers under the containers, but don't don't let those saucers fill with water. In, okay. in the winter time, you're going to have the urge to water these plants all the time. But in the, uh-huh. in the winter time, plants don't process water um, nearly as much as they do when they're actively growing. Same with food. No food. No food until okay. spring. Um, and have a very light hand with the water. I don't know if you've heard me describe this before, but I want you to learn what the pot feels like when it's soaked and when it's dry. Just rock, okay. rock the pot. Um, when you first put the plants in position, I want you to sit them in a sink until they are totally saturated, and then feel the weight of that pot. Uh-huh. Then, then let it drain, put it in the saucer, and let it get good and dry. And when it's dry, it'll be, you know, maybe three times lighter. It, it's not a, it's not a hard thing to judge. And when it does get really dry, then water again. But don't water on a schedule. Don't water because the surface of the soil is dry. You want to make sure that the roots of these plants are not constantly sitting in water or they will rot. Okay. It's very easy to bring back a plant that was underwatered. It is very difficult to resurrect a plant that was overwatered to death. Okay. Um, and then, um, in the, you know, the problem, of course, is you, you could get funky with this stuff in the summertime, but the kids aren't there in the summertime. Right. Uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to take the plants home in the summertime or what? Yeah, that's what I'll do. Okay, so that's I'll it. Just, uh, I, I bought a bunch of big clay pots, and I'm, but my original idea was that I wanted to have herbs. I, I just love that smell. And I, um, I have some mint and some lemon verbena, and the lemon verbena just died over a long weekend. It's, yeah. And so I've brought it home and I'm giving it some TLC, but I, I realize that I need hardier stuff. Yeah, well, you're, you're good to go with mints. I think you'd be good to go with rosemary. Uh, mm-hmm. Clay pots was a mistake. Um, really? Oh, I know they look beautiful, but they wick their moisture into the air. Winter air is typically very dry. So yes. it is very difficult for plants in clay pots in the winter to stay evenly watered. I know it is one of the, one of the things destroying our planet, but this is a, this is a place where um, plastic pots are far superior. They will need to be watered less often, and the water inside them will be stable. What I tell people is I don't like using plastic either, so once you start with it, reuse it until it crumbles into dust. Um, okay. And if you love... Should I repot? Like, I have this mint in... Yeah, in you, it's in clay. Should I repot it? You can't hurt mint. Yeah. Don't forget to turn the plants. A, quor- yes. a quarter turn every week would be perfect. Start Monday morning by turning each plant a quarter of the way clockwise. And that way the growth will be even and the stress of being near that cold window will be um, evened out. Uh, Make sure the windows are clean on both sides. Um, Uh A dirty window can interrupt 50% of the light coming in. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A dirty window, uh, you might as well not have any light at all. I never 
Oh, wow. That's, that makes a lot of sense. I had no idea. That's what I get the big money for, you know. It's, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm here to learn you teachers the right way, you know. Okay, well, you teach me about plants, and uh, I can teach you algebra. Oh, God, really? <laughs> uh, this conversation was going so well before that. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much. And good for you, by the way. Most of the plants we're talking about, most of the house plants, um, are very good at air purification. You can cross-reference the list of super hardy house plants with the list of air cleaning plants. A gentleman named Wolverton uh, did a study uh. for NASA years ago uh, because they wanted to have plants inside the spaceships to help clean the air. So you find things like philodendron and um, spider plant, uh, which are very hardy. Um, they also turn out to be very good at cleaning the air. Great. I love that. Of course you do. That's, yeah. Hey, I, I have one other question, if, you, if, if that's okay, before you go. I will make a judicious decision about it. All right. Um, so this lemon verbena... When I first got it, oh, it was gorgeous, Give it up. bushy, and it smelled Give it up. great. Give it up. It's not and a wintertime plant. It is a beautiful plant. And the leaves, when crushed up, make an excellent mosquito repellent. But once it's dead, it's dead. The most important... Well, it's coming back. It's well, got new growth. Okay. Well, I... And I brought it home. Yeah, keep it home. it's in a window, which yeah. now that you're... I mean, this window, I should clean, and I'll do that. Yeah. But, um, like... I put rocks in the bottom for drainage. No. No? No, no, no. These plants, house plants are confined, right? They're already uh -huh. in a limited amount of space. The last thing they need is a bunch of rocks taking up what could have been more soil for them. Okay. You have to make sure the container has good drainage, good drainage holes in the bottom. You may not use solid containers under any circumstances. The plants will die. They will have a horrible death. They will come back and haunt you. They'll be flying around your head when you're deep asleep. <laughs> Why did you kill us? Oh, we drowned. We drowned. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Get back to Thank your you. students, teach. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will once again host the annual Empty Bowl Dinner to benefit families facing homelessness and answer your garden questions. Wednesday, November 20th at the Lutheran Theological Seminary on Germantown Avenue in Philadelphia's Chestnut Hill section. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet because we'll be right back to help you pick the perfect machine to shred your leaves and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVR in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute. Since 1947, the Rodale Institute has been growing the organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. Learn more about local events, workshops, and tours at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, I'm always telling people to use leaf blower vacs to clean up and shred their fall leaves for mulch and compost making. Well, I'm going to tell you finally what to look for when we get to the question of the week. We'll also have a couple more of your fascinating phone calls. But now it is time for me to welcome my special guest, Andrew Bunting, the newly minted vice president of Public Horticulture for PHS, the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society, who are well known for putting on the Philadelphia Flower Show every March. But PHS does a lot more than that. I have had a great time, Andrew. I've been, you're in charge of the pop-up gardens. Yes. Now. I do Quizzo at the pop-up garden in, on South Street every year, and we have too much fun. It's a great night out. And these pop-up gardens throughout the city in the summer 
I'm always afraid Philadelphians are going to take this stuff for granted, these great public events, the work on the rail line and everything like that. But you're here to talk about yet another thing the PHS has done for many years, which is kind of to be the consumer reports of new plant introductions. And every year at this time of year, they name the plants that they are giving a gold medal to for the 2020 uh, gardening season. Uh, tell us what you, you've only been in the job for six days, right? <laughs> That's right. So pity this man, pity this man. <laughs> All right, before we get to the plants, let me reintroduce my guest. He is Andrew Bunting, the newly minted president of public horticulture for the PHS, the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society, the people who bring you the flower show every March. Boy, I wish we had time to talk about this coming year's flower show. It yep. looks amazing. We, we could do that at some point. But we're here to talk about gold medal plants. And these things are branded at garden centers, right? They got a gold medal on them. Yeah. You can they, take home yes. and melt down if you don't like Yeah, the usually plant. there's a little uh, setup that has some signage and maybe even a, la a gold medal label. <laughs> do these ever get outside the Pennsylvania area, the, the designation, so to speak? Yeah, so they're promoted also in, say, uh, you know, Western, uh, New Jersey, Delaware, maybe in part parts of Maryland. We really say it's a, a program for the, for the Mid-Atlantic. Okay. All right, number one, Viking Black Choke Cherry. Yes, so... Uh, Why would you want to choke on a cherry? <laughs> yes, so, uh, you know, common names, as you know, sometimes uh, misrepresent the plant, so... Yeah, know, but I can't produce the Latin, Andrew, <laughs> yes, so we're stuck. So, so I, I usually go by the Latin. So the Latin is Aronia Melanocarpa. Mel Aronia, already it's yes. a mistake, and you're going <laughs> to choke on it. <laughs> so, yeah, let's just forget about the, the common name. But, uh, so this is a great, small native shrub, only reaches about three feet tall, six feet wide. It does have many seasons of uh, ornamental interest. So in the spring, in May, in May, in this area, it has small white flowers. And then the fall, that, that gives those give way to kind of shiny black fruits. And then while, while you have the black fruits, you also have a vibrant red fall color. That's great. Uh, they can also take wet conditions or dry conditions. So, you know, kind of wet is also a, uh, often a difficult condition in the garden to really find an appropriate plant for. The berries are attractive to birds. So, you know, right now with any th things in my garden that are fruiting, like catbirds are coming in, right. and robins and blue jays. So they really, uh, you know, it serves many ecological functions as well as having many ornamental attributes. But the least. fruits are not edible for humans. No, no, and, but for birds they're fine. And is the seed inside sterile? The seed, it is sterile on, on Viking. You know, there are other cultivars like uh, uh, Aronia, Beautifolia Brilliantissima, you might be familiar with. Some of those will seed around a little bit, but mm -hmm. yeah, they don't really, I've never seen Aronias really I'd like this thing around. to pop up in my garden right. without me having to go pay for it. Yeah. All right, now here's, here's a tree I want to hear more about because I keep seeing it on this list of underutilized trees, and it has, like, more common names than I have aliases from right. my college days. <laughs> so uh, two of which are hornbeam and ironwood. Yep. Why, uh, tell me why this tree is so beloved by people who want um, people to plant more interesting things in their garden, and... Uh, just how great it is. Right, so it's truly a native plant. So, you know, if, like I live down in Swarthmore, Delaware County, if I went down along the Crumb Creek, I would find another common name as musclewood. And uh, the reason why it's called musclewood is uh, the bark is gray, silver, and kind of has a sinuous texture to it, so it looks kind of muscly. It's a great winter interest. Yeah, great winter interest, it grows along streams or small rivers so it can take wet conditions. Can it take dry conditions? It can take dry conditions too. It's actually a great urban tree. There's another, there's a European counterpart, uh, the European uh, hornbeam, hornbeam yeah. uh, which is the one you most often see. But the native hornbeam can also be used for kind of loose hedging. You can actually clip it as well. It has nice golden fall color. It doesn't get very tall, 20 to 30 feet tall at maturity. Like in, mm -hmm. in Swarthmore, where I'm on the street tree committee, we're often 
looking for street trees that only top out at 20, 25 feet mm -hmm. tall because we want some things that can exist underneath the power lines. Right, yeah. So the, na the native hornbeam or musselwood or uh, blue beech is another, another common name. Now, one of the other programs PHS has are the tree tenders. Yes. Um, and they help people plant and take care of very specifically street trees. That's right. There's this ultimate goal of having a million new trees That's planted right. in the greater Philadelphia area. Right. Are you utilizing the ironwood? And I should have asked you before, is this a specific cultivar? No. So this is straight species. Uh, yes, it's being utilized in Philadelphia. Yes, it's being utilized in the suburbs because we've planted it in, in Swarthmore as well. Uh, so here's a plant that's been around for millennia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is and not a selection. This is just... This is the Susan Lucci right. of American plants, <laughs> right? It's been around for a couple of hundred years, and yeah. finally it wins the Academy Award. That's right. That's right. It's, uh, you know, it's one of those, you know, uh, kind of unsung heroes of the horticulture world in that it's been around forever, but people have really not really started to use it in ornamental ways until recently, but it's tough as nails. It's really a, a great plant for urban conditions as well as you know, a native garden or even you know, a, a stream garden. Again, there's not many plants you can plant right along a stream that floods and it won't kill the plant, but Carpinus is one of them. Whenever I am stealing from other people's material and I'm looking for names of trees to recommend, this one is always there, and there's always the notate. Why don't more people plant right, ironwood? Right. And I think one of the reasons was is people weren't growing them. So they weren't readily available in wholesale nurseries or retail nurseries. But now, you know, I think a lot of this is due in part to the native plant movement, which mm -hmm. is still as strong as it ever has been, maybe, yep. maybe even stronger, uh, where certain municipalities, and I'll use Swarthmore as an example again, they've now um, um, mandated that, you know, a lot of the street trees have to be natives. So that, you know, then eliminates a lot of the other ones. Certainly the Bradford uh, pear. Right, Bradford pears Asia, and, right? you know, flowering cherry. Uh, I like flowering I do, cherry. I did, I did too. <laughs> <laughs> I always recommend There's them. still plenty of those around, and they're still great trees. You know, it, you know native doesn't necessarily equal best. You know, get xenophobic here. Right. There's plenty of uh, right word. there's pl plenty of uh, exotic plants that are as good as natives. I'm sure that won't go over well with the native people, but it but it's true. Ah, oh, the heck with <laughs> it. Yeah, show me your birth certificate. Right? <laughs> Lock them up. Uh, number three is a coreopsis. Beautiful coreopsis. Right? So coreopsis is you know an old-fashioned perennial. It's the uh, you know threadleaf coreopsis. It has very fine foliage. It too doesn't get very big foliage. Foliant, uh, you know, maybe 15 inches tall, uh, blooms kind of late spring, early summer. But after it flowers, if you cut cut the foliage back by half, you get kind of a regeneration of the foliage, so it makes it look a little tidier for the rest of the season. But then you'll get some reflowering oh, as well. Oh, that's nice. That's full, nice. Full sun, tough as nails. You know, some, some butterflies and moths come to it. You know, it's not the best for pollinators, but mm -hmm. it, it, it's not bad. Right. Uh, but just you know, a tough-as-nails plant. It's also, you know, you've probably benefited from people giving you plants, pass-along plants. Uh -huh. So this is a great one for that in that, you know, if you buy, say, a quart, you know, within a year, it's going to be, you know, one by one kind of footprint, and it just kind of keeps spreading. So it's a you great know, plant to make divisions make of. Make divisions of, share with your friends, take to, take to plant exchanges. You know, that's another thing we do at the pop-up gardens is we do at least one or two plant exchanges a year where, you know, neighbors uh, in the, you know, center city area bring in plants and, and, and share, and Coreopsis is a good one for now, that. Now, number four finally yes. <laughs> has the sign, the symbol, with the deer with the line through it, uh, right. which is how I like my right. deer. Right. <laughs> so this is a geranium. Right, so that's uh, a geranium canterbrigensi biacovo. And now it's... you see why he got the job, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. If I had said that, you'd be writhing in your lawn chairs. <laughs> it's a diminutive geranium. So you know, a lot of times when people think of geraniums, they think of you know, pelargonium, the, the annual geranium. The, 
these are perennial geraniums, so there's you know hundreds of cultivars and species that. But may I even say that the annual geranium, like annual peppers, yes. can easily be made to perennialize if you bring them inside. Yeah, they have exactly. the heart. Of a, they yeah. have the heart of a perennial. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but this is one that comes back every year. It's very hardy. I think zone four, so it'd be hardy in places like Chicago. I have it in, in my in my front garden. And uh, my front garden is a perfect uh, trialing spot for what is deer resistant. My entire back, <laughs> my entire backyard is deer fence, but the front yard is not. Right. So I've put many things out there that just get mowed to the ground. And lots of other geraniums actually will get nibbled, but this one has proven to be pretty deer resistant. I'll never geraniums I are known for having a not so much a strong scent or flavor, but um, they, they, they all have some essence to them, like right. the lemon-scented geranium. Right, right, yeah, especially that, that annual, a, annual ones. Uh, but yeah, this one is, is tough. It also, like the Coreopsis, spreads over time. So in the spring, it has uh, tiny kind of quarter-shaped flowers that are white with kind of a blush of pink. And again, like the Coreopsis, if you want to rejuvenate it a little bit, you can give it a little shearing, kind of mid-season, you'll get a, a reflush of oh, some Oh, you have some no foliage. idea how, how important <laughs> this information is. These people out there can't live without their pruners. Yeah. They get up every day, they go outside. Thank goodness there's generally a deer in the driveway right. going, get out, get back inside with that. I'll take care of the pruning. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I like pruning too, but I, yeah. don't, I don't like, you know, meatball pruning. <laughs> Very good. I'll be using that. Thank you. Number five is hydrangea. Yes. Uh, one of the most misunderstood plants in the in the universe. Yes. So, you know, there are whole books on hydrangeas. You could write an Some of which say absolutely nothing. Right. And you could write an entire book on how to how to prune and how not to prune mm -hmm. a hydrangea. So this one is a selection of the smooth hydrangea. So hydrangea arborescens is a native hydrangea that's found in the woodlands from Maine to Illinois, south to probably northern Florida. So it's kind of a scraggly plant in the wild, but you give it some sun, and this one in particular, Haas's halo, gets into a shrub that's about four to five feet tall. And you know with hydrangeas, there's two types. There's either kind of the big ball, mop the mop head or the hortensia, or the flat-topped ones, which are called lace caps. Mm -hmm. So this has a lace cap. So you know, when you think of a lot of times, that's actually a more pleasing flower form. Yeah, it's not because not, the cultivated mop heads. Sometimes the flowers just get too big for their own good. Exactly, they they're so big that they kind of weigh down the planet, especially after a thunderstorm. Uh, so this one, Haas's halo, is is more delicate, kind of in its in its uh, look of flower. Uh, but the flowers are huge. They're like the size of a, di a dinner plate. Mm -hmm. And the way these lace And that's if they get enough sun. Yeah, if they, well. Because what you're describing here is a great concept, uh, an understory plant that's kind of understated. Right. But if you give it full sun, it's like released from prison. It can yeah. show what it can do. Yeah, so what, what you'll see with, with this one in particular, if you give it shade, you know, shade to part shade, you're going to get half as many flowers. If you put it in full sun, you'll get full flowering. Mm -hmm. And the way the lace caps are arranged is in the center, there's tiny white flowers. Around the edge are the showier bracts. Mm -hmm. So it really makes for a nice floral display. But, uh, you know, white flowers, um, and I'm not sure if this is a pollinator plant. Yeah, um, yeah it kind of so. is. But, you know, white flowers are the color most favored by native bees right. and honeybees. right. right. And what you'll find with this one is that the fertile flowers are the tiny ones in the center, so that's where the pollinators mm -hmm. will, will go to. The showy ones are actually sterile right. around the edge. And you're probably familiar just, with... Just as in much of life, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you're probably familiar with Annabelle. Yeah. You know, it's one of the most famous hydrangeas of all time. Th that also is hydrangea arborescence. Mm -hmm. So Annabelle's a selection of the smooth hydrangea, as is Haas's halo, but they're very different. One has a big mop, white mop head in, mm -hmm. in Annabelle, and Haas's halo is more flat-topped. And finally, we come to a Russian sage. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, this Perovskia, that's the, the scientific name. Uh, Perovskias are deer-resistant. You know, they're in the, in the mint family, mm -hmm. and, you know, a lot of mint family things also have a, a fragrance to them. And also, 
What I found is deer, you know, I won't call anything deer proof. I have a white sage <laughs> right? that is come back in my garden year after year for no joke, 30 years. The deer never touch it. Um, I can't stand the smell of the right, leaves. Right. Um, but late in the season, it gets these beautiful white flowers right. and the really tiny pollinators, the native bees that are, you know, only the, you know, just yep. so right. tiny. They're all over the thing and there isn't else, anything else really for them at that time of the year. Yeah, so this one, you know, this is a salvia, a sage or salvia relative. Well, sage is salvia. Yeah, so pink, pink, or sorry, purplish violet flowers. The foliage has kind of, it's fuzzy white, mm -hmm. so that gives some ornament as well. Uh, reasonable cut flower, uh, non-native, but that's okay. Uh, you know, it's kind of a... I understand we have great relations with <laughs> Russia right now. Right. Uh, this one is little, little, little Sprite, so it's a smaller one. You know, we also try to pick things that might be more appropriate for, like, the urban garden. So, you know, if you live in the city in Philadelphia, you might have a relatively small backyard. So things like the Coryopsis Zagreb and uh, the, the uh, Russian Sage, the, the Little Sprite, and the Viking... Uh, chokeberry, those are all good for small, for small spaces. Okay, so um, these will be on sale at nurseries next yes. season. And if people want to learn more about them, uh, does, do you have a dedicated site or do people go to phs.org? Yeah, phs.org. All right, Andrew Bunning, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everyone that I will once again be honored to host the annual Empty Bowl Dinner to benefit homeless families and answer your garden questions. That's Wednesday, November 20th at the Lutheran Theological Seminary on Germantown Avenue in Chestnut Hill in Philadelphia. But don't you go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back to help you pick the perfect machine to shred your leaves and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVR in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVR in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week, telling you how to pick the perfect leaf vac to shred your leaves without making a lot of noise and with you doing a lot less work. That's coming up right after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Bill, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, this is Bill from Yardley, PA, and i got a question about raspberries. Uh, mine seem to have this wonderful yellow mold, and it's taking over the entire area. Huh. Um, so you have, a, when you say a yellow mold, are we talking on, on the canes, the leaves, the fruits? Uh, mostly on the leaves themselves, underneath. Under the fruits are starting to turn yellow as well. But, um, okay, so does, does the color look at all like rust? Yes, it does. Okay. Um, does it come off when you rub your finger on the leaf? everything okay good so you got rust okay see, that was a quick phone call i'll see you bill good luck yeah. <laughs> what do i do okay so here's the deal uh how do you have your strub strawberries how do you have your raspberries planted uh they're just in the backyard back near the fence uh they're not 
held up by anything at this point. Mm-hmm. You can essentially walk around all sides. Yeah, and um, how long have they been in the grounds? How many years? This would be the second year. Okay, and how did you acquire your planting canes? Uh, they were given to us, and essentially we just had the canes, rooted them, and, and planted them. Okay, that sounds pretty good. Now, is this an area where water drains too? Is this a wet area? No, it's just uh, flat earth. Uh, it t tends to drain away. It's more on top of a hill. Okay. Um, and have you been feeding them anything? I put some compost down uh, around them just to keep the weeds off, but otherwise nothing. No, that's nothing wrong with that. Um, are, do you know which type of raspberries? Are they the type that bear all season long, or the type, uh, the type that bears two big crops? Uh, all season long. We've gotten uh, something like 24 pints off of this thing so far. And you're complaining. <laughs> and you're complaining. Oi! Some people would complain if you hung them with a new rope. Um, so it, there was no break. In, in, in the fruiting. It just went all, all season long. Yes, yes. We're continually pulling them off every day. Yeah. Do, uh, do you know the variety name? Unfortunately not. The, the, the uh, people that gave it to us didn't really know what they were. Okay. It sounds like Caroline. Um, and you say the area has very good airflow, and you only put compost on it. And you, you read them stories every night and tell them how important they are to you. And are, are they near a lawn that gets treated? Um, sort of. Uh, they're on the fence between mine, which only gets corn gluten meal, and uh, my next-door neighbor, which is unknown. Right. Okay. Scott, I thought you were going to tell me you were a little bit pregnant there. Um, <laughs> Rust, I'm trying to think what to, you know, um, and this was not a problem the first year? No, it was not. And, but you're saying the berries are turning um, color themselves. Rust almost always only affects the leaves of a plant. Now, you, you realize also the season is somewhere between ending and over. And, um, you know, they're going to go dormant for now. Right, right. Yeah, the the, uh, the berries themselves sort of had a, a little bit yellow on, you know, every once in a while. Mm -hmm. It's not as if they had the same uh, coloration. It's just that they both started changing at about the same time. Right, and your, your raspberries are red and not golden, right? Correct. Okay. So are any of the old canes, you haven't had this patch very long. So uh, are there old canes that are really most sincerely dead that you can just kind of snap off? Uh, there are some, but at this point, uh, the, 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 I had trimmed things down before, and uh, the, the canes now all have the, the rust all through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a lot of people will mow their strawberries and raspberries down at, okay. at the end of the season. Um, if you listen to the show, you know I don't endorse, you know, any pruning or anything like that at this time of year. But raspberries are, are pretty hardy plants, and they grow very quickly in the spring. So I would think if your infestation is that severe, um, I, I, would, I would support mowing the whole patch down. Okay. And then Should I rake up all the stuff around it before putting any more compost or things down? Um, mow it all down, rake everything away, and then, yes, fresh compost. And, you know, all I can tell you is that when the season begins, when, when the canes sprout back up from the ground, mm -hmm. um, you say they're, they're not supported. They're just flying all over the place. Right. If you can, um, just get out there with maybe one or two stakes or some string or some wire and just relieve the crowding in certain areas. Because you say they're up against a fence, right? Uh, the, you, I can actually walk behind them, so uh, there's enough space and I can easily put up something. Okay. Um, 
the the issue here is if it comes back, you just have a variety that is prone to this. Okay. Uh, but uh, mowing it down, fresh compost, um, and then eternal vigilance. If you see any of this on a leaf next season, get rid of that leaf right away and red bag it. Don't uh, and don't put any of this stuff in the compost either. Right. No, I, I haven't done that. I've, I've trimmed some of it already, but it went into the to the trash. Yeah, unfortunately, um, this can happen. Now, it might be a one-time only. It could just be from the miserable wet conditions we had this year. But if it happens again, I would pull them up and I would replant with a different variety. I would always recommend Heritage, um, okay. which is an older, stronger variety. Okay, I'll do that. All right, good luck, Bill. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, the weather's cooling down, but gardening is heating up. There's lots to plant and harvest. It's time for that big second season of salad greens and cold weather crops. And we'll tell you how to get it all done correctly and organically. Just give us a call at 833-727-9588. All right, as promised, question of the week. How to choose the best leaf shredder for you. Aniki in Lake Leewanaw, Michigan, writes, Since forever, I've been raking my leaves into a big pile and running them over and over and over with a lawnmower. I say no more. Can you recommend a quiet, long-lasting leaf blower that collects leaves and mulches them? Is there such a thing? Well, this is one of the most frequent questions I get at this time of the year. And rather than name brand names, I'm going to let you in on what I've learned about these machines over the years. But before we do that, the answer is yes, Aniki. There is such things, or there are such things, or yeah, they're out there. Anyway, there are a number of corded, electric, and rechargeable battery-powered leaf blowers on the market that have a reverse setting, a funnel to use instead of the blower attachment, and a collection bag for the leaves. These will be called blower vacs or something similar. Look at the packaging carefully, as there are also electric and rechargeable machines that only blow the leaves around, which to me is less than pointless. All of these electrically oriented machines are much quieter than any gasoline-powered machine, virtually all of which are exclusively leaf blowers. Now, I use the weasel word virtually here because a combo unit may exist out there. But if it does, it's going to be noisier, require more maintenance, and make you spill gas and oil all over your driveway every fall. So back to electric. Combination blower vacs will, or should, have a mulching ratio listed on the box or the product description. That'll be a number ranging from 12 to 20. A machine with a mulching ratio of 20 to 1, meaning that you can fit 20 bags of whole leaves into a single bag after they're shredded, will shred leaves into the smallest possible particles, but might make a little more noise than a lesser powered machine. A blower vac with a mulching ratio of 12 to 1, which is the lowest end, might be a little less noisy, but you would shred the leaves into particles almost twice the size of a 20 to 1. And in composting, Smaller particles make better compost. In my experience, blower vacs with a higher mulching ratio number will have a somewhat higher price tag, but are much more efficient. Especially if you're going to hoard shredded leaves in plastic bags for garden mulch next season, the higher the mulching ratio, the fewer bags you will need to use for the same amount of leaves. Some models will also have a high and low power setting. The low setting will be considerably less noisy than high, but it will take more time and may not shred the leaves as finely. Some models, like a rechargeable unit that I use, have a variable dial that controls what I will now call the sucking speed. You heard it here first. Durability. 
If you can believe it, I'm only on my second corded electric blower vac. And the first one lasted well over a decade, and my new one, which is getting up in the years, still works perfectly. In my experience, you're more likely to wear out the collection bag before the actual machine. Okay, more about noise. Keep in mind that the loudest electric machine is going to be much quieter than the quietest gas-powered machine. And those gas-powered monsters are the noisy menaces most people think of when they shudder at the thought of a machine that interacts with leaves. So if you want to be a considerate neighbor, be assured that your electric machine won't be nearly as offensive, especially if you don't suck up your leaves at 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Oh, and of course, always wear ear protection when you shred. But shred you should. Yes, whole leaves will eventually break down in a cold compost pile, but it will take years, and the compost will be lacking in plant disease-fighting power. And you're raking up the leaves and then bending over to pick them up. It is the firm policy of this show that bending over is for chumps. Never bend if you don't have to. On the other hand, finely shredded leaves become compost very quickly, and the resulting hot compost will have the power to prevent many plant diseases. And you can't, or you shouldn't, mulch plants with whole leaves. Can you use a bagging mower to mulch your leaves? Absolutely, as long as your lawn hasn't been chemically treated. Herbicide-tainted grass clippings can turn compost that should have been fine fertilizer into a herbaceous homicider. That's a word, really, come on. And finally, rechargeable versus corded units. Corded machines are limited to the area your extension cord will reach, but there's no battery to run down, and you can't run over the cord like I always do with my electric mulching mower. Rechargeable units are not limited by the length of your extension cord, but the battery does limit the time you can suck leaves, which is fine with me because after a half hour or so of shredding, I'll hear the distinctive beep that tells me my charge is going down and I'll have to stop for the day, which spreads the workout over time at the nicest part of the year to be outside and always brings a smile to my face. Well, that was some highly subjective advice about blower vax now, wasn't it? Luckily, if you were as confused by hearing all those numbers as I was writing them down, you can read the info over at your leisure or your leisure. Because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to unplug my leaf vac if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you, you, only you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588. Do it now. Or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location if you want us to not throw away your email. You'll find all of this contact information, answers to hundreds of your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast, all at our website, youbetyourgarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Television and Radio in association with WLVT and WLVR in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by Mary Shelley on a dark and stormy night. Fire, fire, bad, bad. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director used to be known as Amanda McGrath. She is now assisting the authorities with their investigations under the pseudonym Amanda Northfleet. Either way, check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerly. Our audio editor is Jazzy Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious. 
Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Eric is running the camera today. Unless you're listening and not watching on TV, and then maybe he isn't really here. I'll have to ask Renee Descartes about that. Zach the Takwasneski is in the house. Therefore, he is. As you all know by now, if our beloved and beleaguered CEO, Tim Fallon, who is not our executive producer, is in the house, yes, he's late for a meeting. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and it rained so hard on Halloween that we didn't get any trick-or-treaters. So I'll be eating Mounds bars and Twizzlers and shopping for bigger Hawaiian shirts until I can see you again next week. Oh, it is, is it? Beautiful night. I got my best girl with me. Although, you know what could make it even better? Let me guess. Some mint chocolate chip. Bingo. You always get a little sappy when that sweet tooth kicks in. Partners since the beginning. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org. Tropical milkweed. Is it a threat to monarchs or a double-purpose monarch friend? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, we'll take a close look at which plants help these bodacious butterflies best. Plus your fabulous phone calls, 